Here's another study from Calvary Chapel, Rochester. Corinthians 14, um, I called this a primer, which is kind of like a, a, a like an elementary school book type of thing, a primer on the gift of tongues and prophecy. As we've been going through the the, uh, the gifts of the Spirit, and we've been talking about it in 1 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, a little bit in chapter 13, and then now in chapter 14, um, you know, I, I, I mentioned tongues and I mentioned prophecy and said we're going to get to it. We'll, t- we'll deal with it a little bit more. This is the chapter that deals with uh, tongues and prophecy. And so that's kind of why I title that. It's kind of just a kind of what does Paul say? What does the scripture say about these two gifts? Because, you know, if you think about it, there's a lot of different opinions, a lot of different understandings. And I think some of it's a misunderstanding, too. So hopefully, and I'm not saying I've got a monopoly on the truth. I don't know that I do. But hopefully, as we look at scriptures, we can see what the word says and and uh, get getting a greater understanding. And so Paul here, he's addressing uh, the church of Corinth. And, you know, if you were to give the church of Corinth a title, you know, what kind of a church is it? Maybe you were like if you were in Corinth and there was you know, there's probably only the church in Corinth, but if there was like in our day, there's, oh, how many churches are in Rochester? You know, you kind of want to know, what are they about? You know, what kind of church is it? Are they, are they uh, charismatic? Are they this or that or whatever? Well, the church in Corinth, I would call it a Pentecostal church. I would call it a charismatic church. Um, you know, sometimes we look at, at Corinth and we look at the letter to, to the Corinthians, and you know we can get kind of well. They're such a carnal church, and they're they're in sin, and they're, they're you know all this junk that's going on in the church. And we can get kind of down on on the Corinthians, but I think there's one thing that I would say is probably a positive. They were pursuing the gifts of the Spirit. The, you know that's something that we we should commend them for that they were uh, pursuing the gifts of the Spirit, and yet. In uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, you don't need to turn there, but in that chapter, in the very first one, uh, very first verse, I should say, Paul says, Now concerning spiritual gifts, brethren, I do not want you to be ignorant. So that's kind of an interesting thing, isn't it? Here we have a Pentecostal or a charismatic or a spirit-filled church, however you want to describe it, and Paul says that they're ignorant concerning spiritual gifts. Is that possible? that a charismatic, spirit-filled Pentecostal church could be ignorant concerning spiritual gifts? Listen, they were a carnal church, but they weren't carnal because they were exercising the gifts of the Spirit. They were carnal because of their divisions and their lack of agape love. But they were ignorant concerning the understanding and the proper functions of the gift of the Spirit. So that's what this letter that Paul's writing, because there was so much confusion regarding the gifts of the Spirit. And so Paul wants to clear up that that confusion and give them a better understanding and the proper function of the gifts of the Spirit. But notice in chapter 14, verse 1, before Paul even gets into that, he says this, Pursue love and desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. 
So there's a priority here. And very, the very first thing he says is to pursue love. We talked about that last week. By the way, if you were uh, trying to follow along, uh, I didn't have the message. I somehow messed up the message. And anyways, uh, but we got it on. We got it. My, I got a phone. I called my son who was, was, used to do it. And I'm like, help me here. And he said, well, there's a place where it's at. And so I was able to retrieve and, and get it up there. So anyways, uh, chapter 13's online. But we talked a lot about love last week. Paul says pursue love and then he goes on to desiring special uh, desiring spiritual gifts but especially that you may prophesy you know people pursue all kinds of things I pursue things you pursue things people pursue all kinds of stuff people pursue careers you know, especially a younger person, you know, they're, they're going to college, they're finishing college, they're, they're doing all the steps they can because they're, they're pursuing some goal, some career. And it's a good thing. I'm not saying it's bad at all. People pursue relationships, you know, whether it's just a friendship. I just, I just need more friends, so I want to be more sociable, get involved with people. Or maybe it's, you know, like a special friendship, like a courtship maybe. Per, people pursue relationships. Some people pursue wealth. And all their, their, everything they do is trying to get more wealth or materials or whatever you want to say. People pursue all kinds of things. But what does it look like when someone is pursuing something? There's a few things that you can tell. Well, first of all, they're focused, right? They've got this goal, this end goal. And so they're focused on that goal. And everything they do, or as much as they can do, is with a view to assisting the goal's realization. They're not going to do things that are going to harm or take away from that goal. They've got a, they're, they're, they're heading forward to something. And they avoid anything that hinders reaching that goal as much as possible, right? Well, Paul says pursue love. And as we talked about last week, it was agape love, or agape, I said in the beginning of, of yesterday, or last week's message. And Paul describes that love. This is what we should be pursuing. Love suffers long and is kind. And so we're supposed to be pursuing patience and kindness. Love does not envy. Love does not parade itself, is not puffed up, does not behave rudely, does not seek its own, is not provoked, thinks no evil, does not rejoice in iniquity, but rejoices in the truth, bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. This is what we should be pursuing first and foremost. And then, he says, desire spiritual gifts. And that word desire means to desire zealously, to long after spiritual gifts. And he says why. It's for the edification. It's for edifying. That word edifying, it means to build up. And so we're to desire spiritual gifts for building up. But he says, so desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. And we get to verse 2, and he says, For he who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God, for no one understands him. However, in the Spirit, he speaks mysteries. And so we've got kind of a little chart here that I kind of put together as far as tongues and prophecies. And we're going to try to understand the differences between the two, because I think sometimes there's some confusion. And so what we see here in verse 2 is that the gift of tongues, when it's spoken, it's speaking to God, not to man. That's a very important thing to understand. Tongues is directed towards the Lord. 
Verse three, but he who prophesies speaks edification and exhortation and comfort to men. So there's a difference here. Tongues speaks to God, prophecy speaks to men. And what is prophecy? What are the words of prophecy? Look at that, verse three. Edification, which means building up, I said earlier. Exhortation, which you could say maybe strengthening or encouragement. I, I say helpful encouragement. And then comfort, tender consolation. It's kind of interesting. I've, I've known a few people who uh, felt very strongly that they had the gift of prophecy. And in fact, I've even had people tell me I'm a prophet. You know, th that's my ministry and stuff. And, and uh, sometimes I'd hear them prophesy and it would be so hard and condemning. It'd be like, oh, you, you know, you dirty, rotten fiend. You know, I mean, that's, he didn't say that. It's not like, thus saith the Lord, you dirty, rotten fiend. But it came across really heavy and really negative. And, you know, I don't know, but when I look at what Paul says, what prophecy is, man, it's to edify, it's to encourage people, it's to strengthen people, it's to comfort people, it's to exhort people. And so, uh, you know, you think about that when Paul says, pursue this desire spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy, who wouldn't want God to speak comfort to you? Who wouldn't want God to encourage you or, or to, to, uh, to build you up? And so, yeah, we should, be we should be pursuing that zealously. And so now Paul goes into the difference between tongues and prophecy. Verse 4, he who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. So with the gift of tongues, the one who is speaking is edified. And if you don't understand why or how, I will explain it a little bit later. But then he says, with prophecy, the one who hears what is spoken is edified. So with tongues, the person speaking to God, and they're edified as they're doing that. Prophecy on their hand is God speaking to man, and whoever hears that is being edified. Verse 5, I wish you all spoke with tongues, but even more that you prophesied. For he who prophesies is greater than he who speaks with tongues, unless indeed he interprets that the church may receive edification. So the gift of tongues, notice Paul said there, I wish you all spoken with tongues. Paul uh, is the, the gift of tongues, I should say, it's still to be desired. We're still to desire the gift of tongues. It's not like, well, tongues is not that good. Just per No, we're still to desire tongues. Paul says, I wish you all spoke with tongues. But the greater of the two gifts is prophecy. And why is that? Well, because, and this is what I think, because more are edified when prophecy is spoken. It reaches a greater audience, unless there is one exception. And that's if the tongues are interpreted. Then whoever is there hearing that interpretation, then they are also edified. So here's a rhetorical question. If the gifts, gift of tongues is not interpreted, how is the speaker of tongues edified without interpretation? If you're speaking in tongues or you're praying in tongues, how am I being edified? Well, Romans 8, 26, 27, Paul says this. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought but the Spirit himself makes intercession with, uh, for us excuse me, with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the heart, uh, hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints 
according to the will of God. Listen, praying in the Spirit enables me to pray, to praise, and to intercede beyond my ability to understand and articulate. There are times where just my heart just either it's very heavy and I'm trying to pray or I'm just so full of joy and I just don't know how to communicate it. And that's when tongues, the gift of tongues comes in to play and it, it edifies me. It builds me up. Praying in the spirit also builds up my faith in Jude chapter one, verse 20, Paul, uh, Jude says, but you beloved building yourselves up on your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit. So it also builds up your own faith. Verse 6, But now, brethren, if I come to you speaking with tongues, what shall I profit you unless I speak to you either by revelation, by knowledge, by prophesying, or by teaching? Listen, if Paul had a revelation, you know, the Lord just revealed something to him, and he, and he was to share it with his, the fellowship. He comes to the church of Corinth, and he, and he has something he has to share. Or maybe the Lord's given him a word of knowledge, or a word of prophecy, or some teaching to communicate. Unless he spoke in a language that everybody understood, it really wouldn't profit anybody. If he just, if he just preached a whole sermon in tongues, which doesn't make sense because you're speaking to God, not to men, but still, it, it just wouldn't, it wouldn't make sense. It wouldn't profit. Paul says there in verse 7, even things without life, whether flute or harp, when they make a sound, unless they make a distinction in the sounds, how will it be known what is piped or played? For if the trumpet makes an uncertain sound, who will prepare for battle? You know, you think about that. So, um, I don't play a woodwind or a brass instrument. My son Luke had a saxophone. I remember one time I tried to play it, and I, you know, I thought maybe you just do a raspberry. You blow a raspberry into the horn, and then it makes beautiful sounds. And no, it didn't make a beautiful sound. In fact, it made a very bad sound. And and so if I were to pick up a woodwind or something, and I could, you you'd go like, oh boy, you know what the, you know what's what's going on here, and you know in the military. They use the bugle for all different kinds of things. And those that are in the military, you know all about that. You know, there's taps, there's reveille, there's, uh, well, I don't know all the different definitions, but each those sounds communicate something. And so Paul's using this example. If a, if a trumpet makes this weird sound in the, in the camp of the army, they, they don't know what to do with it. And so it is with tongues. He says, so likewise you, Unless you utter by the tongue words easy to understand, how will it be known what is spoken? For you will be speaking into the air. It won't benefit anybody. Verse 10. There are, it may be, so many kinds of languages in the world, and none of them is without significance. Therefore, if I do not know the meaning of the language, I shall be a foreigner to him who speaks, and he who speaks will be a foreigner to me. Alsek Nederland sprich. Amen. Can I get an amen? You're like, what in the world? I said, if I spoke Dutch, you'd know I have no idea what I'm saying unless you understand Dutch. Believe it, that's actually what I said. <laughs> Verse 12. Even so you... Since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you may seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. 
You know, the gift of salvation, and this is something that I really had to learn myself, but the gift of salvation, you know, when you, when you pray to receive Christ in your heart and you're born again, Sometimes I know I know for me there was this just this heavy load that was lifted off I knew that if I died I'd go to heaven that was that was the impetus for me to accept Christ I didn't want to die and go to hell other people you know it's the love of Christ that just draws them into relationship with the Lord you know whatever it is I didn't feel like I feel like I'm saved now I mean I had this comfort and I had this you know I felt like you know whatever it is but you know faith or excuse me salvation it's received by faith right I don't necessarily all of a sudden I look different and I hopefully I maybe I speak different but you know it's still me I don't feel any different and so I have to understand it's by faith that I'm saved and so salvation is received by faith likewise the gift of tongues or actually all the spiritual gifts for that matter they're received by faith likewise too this is something, like I said, something I had to learn. I remember years ago when, when we were first married and we were attending a church, and it was a charismatic church, and, and uh, uh, I had come, grown up in a non-charismatic background. So this was all new to me, and, and it was just like, well, this is really interesting and stuff. And, and I remember one time, it's like, I, I remember the, the elders of the church, two of the elders came over, and uh, they were praying with me to be baptized in the Holy Spirit and praying and stuff. And then they basically said, well, you know, one of the evidences, and this is what they taught. I'm not, I'm not saying that this is true or right, but they said one of the evidences that you'll start speaking in tongues. And so I'm like, okay. And I was, and this is serious. I was waiting. I don't know why I'm getting emotional about it, but I was waiting for, you know, the Holy Spirit's going to take over and I'm going to start speaking in tongues. And it never happened. Well, it's discouraging to me. <clears throat> Excuse me. Like I said, I don't know why I'm getting emotional. I got good sleep last night. <laughs> no, but you know what was discouraging to me is I remember them shaking their heads and, and they left. They just left the house. They're like, I'm like, wow, <laughs> I'm a failure. God doesn't want to use me. <clears throat> I don't know if you've ever had that experience, but I, I did. And it was really tough for me. And then one time I heard a teaching about the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit. And this guy said something that just blew me away. He says, and he said, that, you know, you, you receive salvation by faith. The gifts of the Spirit's no different. You, you, you just receive it by faith. And so I remember praying, and I was by myself, and I remember praying, and man, I got the gift of tongues. And it wasn't like all of a sudden I'm like shaking and, you know, like, oh, I'm, I'm taking over. I'm a robot. No, you know, this, the Spirit's got a hold of me. It wasn't that at all. I started praying, and I started praying in tongues, and I'm like, I, I just believe that this is the gift that I have, and, and I've been doing it ever since, praying in the Spirit. But the problem is, he says, therefore, if I pray, uh, he says, there, therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. You know, the problem with that stepping out in faith and just you know the doubts creep in you, you go man is, is this just gibberish a lot of times i thought man am I, am I just like making some weird sounds and it's just like it's nothing or am i trying to force this but by faith i believe my spirit is communicating with god's spirit beyond my human ability to comprehend so <clears throat> it's edifying 
He says there in verse 13, so, even, so you also, since you are zealous for spiritual gifts, let it be for the edification of the church that you seek to excel. Therefore, let him who speaks in a tongue pray that he may interpret. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my understanding is unfruitful. So it's unfruitful. It doesn't benefit anyone unless in a public setting, it, there's an interpretation along with it. And so verse 15, he says this. What is the conclusion then? I will pray with the Spirit, and I also pray with un the understanding. I will sing with the Spirit, and I will also sing with the understanding. And I'm just going to tell you from my own, my own life. There are times when I will pray or sing in tongues. And I don't do it here at church. I don't do it up here, obviously. You've never heard me do that, I don't think. Um, and there are other times when I will pray or sing in my native tongue, English. You know, it's, it just depends on the situation and it depends on the need. But I'll tell you this, what a blessing it is when words fail that I can still worship the Lord, I can still pray, and I can still communicate, my spirit still communicates with the Lord God regardless. That's the gift of tongues and that's the blessing that it is. So Paul here, we've kind of gone through sort of a primer on between tongues and, and, and prophecy. But now I want you to understand what Paul talks about next in this chapter. He's talking about the worship gathering, the church service, the corporate gathering together. And so in verse 16, he says, Otherwise, if you bless with the Spirit, how will he who occupies the place of the uninformed say amen at your giving of thanks, since he does not understand what you say? For you indeed give thanks well, but the other is not edified. So in the corporate gathering, if there's no interpretation, there's no edification. Now we learn something else about the gift of tongues. Notice there in verses 16 and 17, he says, giving thanks. Again, remember it's directed to, to the Lord. So tongues is giving thanks. We also see in Acts chapter 2, 11, on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came down upon the disciples and they were speaking in tongues. And it says there, the people that understood, they, they understood the language that was being spoken. They said, we hear them speaking in our own tongues, the wonderful works of God. So there's, pray, there's giving thanks, speaking the wonderful works of God. In Acts chapter 10, verse 46 there's another instance where some people are filled with the Spirit and they start speaking in tongues. And it says, for they heard them speak with tongues and magnify God. And then finally, I quoted this earlier, Romans 8, 27. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. That tells us something about the gift of tongues. What do we learn about the nature of what is being said in tongues? Listen, if somebody interprets tongues, and this church that we attended, I, you know, they were pursuing the spiritual gifts, and you know, they, they, were, not, I, they were not a carnal church like the Corinthians. They were, they were pursuing the gifts, but I think they had a little bit of misunderstanding, and I didn't know it at the time because this was new to me. But the interpretation would almost always be, my little children, thus saith the Lord. You know, and they'd be like this, and, like, and I thought, oh, wow, that's, that's the interpretation of tongues. But listen, tongues is directed to God, not to men. And it's going to be praise. It's going to be worship. It's going to be thanksgiving. It's going to be prayer. 
It's always directed to God, not to men. And so what were they, it wasn't the correct, it couldn't have been the correct interpretation according to what I read here in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Now prophecy, on the other hand, according to verse 3, what is it? It's words of edification to man, words of exhortation to man, words of comfort to man. It's God's words to man. Do you see the difference? Verse 18, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. Yet in the church, I would rather speak five words with my understanding that I may teach others also than 10,000 words in a tongue. And we like to sometimes, if you know, if, if you don't believe in the gifts that are available for today or whatever, you might say, ha, see, Paul would rather speak five words with understanding than 10,000 words in a tongue. But you under, got to understand something. Paul recognized the value of the gift of tongues. Remember back in verse 5, I wish you all spoke in tongues. Here he says, I thank my God I speak with tongues more than you all. The reality in Corinth was that not all spoke in tongues. And there are people that will say, you know, if you're, if you're born, some people say it's an evidence of being born again as you speak in tongues. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Others will say it's an evidence of you being baptized in the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues. Well, that's not what the scripture teaches either. Paul says here that they didn't all speak in tongues. But listen, Paul's wishes were that they all spoke in tongues. What does that say to us? Well, I think it says there should be more, probably more people with the gift than I suspect that there are in our fellowship, but in Christianity in general, especially in our devotional lives. Yet in the corporate gathering, okay, that's the context here, the church service, tongues was of lesser value than teaching and preaching the word of God because of the edification or the lack of edification unless it was interpreted. Verse 20, brethren, do not be children in understanding, however in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. And so what Paul is going to say next, it requires some mature understanding. And it's kind of funny. Uh, I still don't quite understand it. I'm going to tell you what my take is, what I think Paul is saying, but I don't really, I don't have the answers, all the answers. But I do understand this, when it comes to malice, we should be as innocent as a baby. When it comes to malice, we should be innocent, but we should be mature in our understanding. Hopefully, we're gaining some understanding this morning. So Paul says this, verse 21, in the law it is written, with men of other tongues and other lips I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. Therefore, tongues are for a sign, not to those who believe, but to unbelievers. But prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. And what makes this verse, these verses kind of hard is because verse 23 almost sounds like it's contradicting it. But Paul here in verse 21, he's quoting from Isaiah 28, verse 11. With, the men, uh, with men of other tongues and other lips, I will speak to this people, and yet for all that they will not hear me, says the Lord. If you go back to the history that's recorded there that Isaiah is writing about, it's because of the sin, the idolatry, and the unbelief, a corrupt priesthood, false prophets, that God would send invaders, uh, foreign invaders, to, uh, to punish his people, 
to take them into captivity to conquer his people. And what this prophecy is saying is the sound of foreign language of these armies that they wouldn't understand, be it Babylonian or Assyrian or Roman later on, it would be a sign of judgment. On the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit was poured out and, 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 and they were all speaking in tongues and everybody, they heard this rushing, this sound of rushing wind, they're all like, what's going on? And they all rushed to where it was taking place. That pouring out of the Spirit of God and the disciples gathered in that upper room, it was a sign of judgment as well on the hypocritical apostate Judaism, the official religion of the Pharisees and the Sadducees. It was a supernatural sign that the Spirit of God had departed from apostate Judaism. It had moved from Judaism to the church. It was God's sign saying, I'm, I'm taking my spirit. It's going here with the church, with my church. It was that day that the mystery of the church was revealed. Well, how did the unbelieving Jews respond to the supernatural outpouring of the gift of tongues on Pentecost? They said, oh, man, those guys are drunk with wine. That's the, they, didn't, they didn't comprehend it. And so what I believe Paul is saying, tongues is a sign for unbelievers in the sense of judgment. But he says prophesying is not for unbelievers, but for those who believe. Again, I think it's in the sense that maybe that prophecy for believers is not a sign of judgment. Remember, it's encouraging, it's edification, it's building up. I don't think, and I think some people misunderstand that, I don't think Paul is saying in the corporate gathering we should be speaking in tongues because it is meant for unbelievers to hear. That's, I don't think that's what Paul is saying. Because look at verse 23. Therefore, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues, and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers, will they not say that you are out of your mind? I attended, my friend, I had a friend growing up, and he attended a Pentecostal church, and uh, I would spend the night at his house every once in a while. He'd spend the night at our house once in a while. I remember one Sunday, or Saturday weekend anyway, spending the night at his house, and that Sunday morning we went to his church. And uh, it was a Pentecostal church, and I remember in the middle of service, everyone started just speaking in tongues without an interpretation. And I got the, man, I got goosebumps. I'm like, ooh, you know, this is just like freaked me out. I'm like, this is really weird. That's why Paul says, tongues without our interpretation in the corporate gathering, you get unbelievers in here, they're going to go, man, you guys are cuckoo. <laughs> you know, it's going to seem that way. You know, what's interesting to me, verse 23, he says there, if the whole church comes together in one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those who are uninformed or unbelievers. It's like there's two different groups of people, the uninformed or unbelievers. And I have to wonder, who are the uninformed? What is he referring to? I think it's quite possibly be those who are Christians who don't believe in the gifts of the Spirit or don't believe that the gifts of the Spirit are for today. I, we're, they're... The designation that I know is cessationist. They believe that the, the gifts of the Spirit have ceased with the apostles and the finishing of, the, of scriptures. And I, and I did talk about that last week in chapter 13. He doesn't say who they are, but I'm kind of curious. What, what does he mean by uninformed or unbelievers? And I understand what an unbeliever is. But in either case, those people say, man, those people are nuts. And I remember before I had any kind of a, a good, healthy understanding of the gifts of the Spirit, I remember sitting in that church and going, man, these guys are nuts, man. This is like weird. <laughs> I got to get out of here as soon as I can. I was in fifth grade, so I couldn't leave. <laughs> I had to sit there. <laughs> you know? 
In the corporate gathering, tongues does not benefit unless, of course, there's an interpretation. But now he has a contrast here, verse 24. But if all prophesy and an unbeliever or an uninformed person comes in, he is convinced by all, he is convicted by all, and thus the secrets of his hearts are revealed, of his heart is revealed. So falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is truly among you. So in the corporate gathering, what we are doing here this, this morning, prophecy does benefit even unbelievers and uninformed. Why? There have been many times when I've shared, and I believe the gift of prophecy is, is, has been evidence in the teaching, it's, it's come through the teaching, because I've had people come up to me right afterwards and go, man, you wouldn't believe how that just spoke to my heart. Man, it's just dealing with me right where I'm at. I mean, I had this issue this weekend. Man, you just dealt with it. I'm like, wow, I didn't. I'm not that smart. <laughs> it's the Spirit speaking to people. Well, now Paul moves from the primer of the gift of tongues and prophecy to the practical exercise of these gifts. So hopefully by now we have a little bit of a better understanding between tongues and prophecy. Verse 26. How is it then, brethren, whenever you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an interpretation. Let all things be done for edification. You know, you got to give credit to the Corinthians. They were pursuing and exercising their gifts. I would wish that we all did that here at Calvary Chapel, Rochester. But they needed edification, clarification, and direction all for the purpose of edification. So verse 27, he says, If anyone speaks in a tongue, and again, the context is the church gathering. If anyone speaks in, in a tongue, let there be two, or at the most three, each in turn, and let one interpret. But if there is no interpreter, let him keep silent in the church, and let him speak to himself and to God. And the first thing that jumps out of him is, Wow, you actually can control the use of your gift. And there are people that say, you know, I can't help it when the Spirit takes over me. I just, I just, I can't control it. Well, evidently you can, according to what Paul says. So if someone speaks in a tongue, you know, here's the thing here. Paul says, if anyone speaks in a tongue, let there be at least two, uh, two or three at the most. Uh, each in turn, let one interpret. So Say somebody here said, you know, Pastor, not right now, hopefully, but, you know, at some point, you know, Pastor, there's, I, I want to share this. I've, you know, and they, and they start speaking in tongues. And they don't have an interpretation, and maybe somebody else doesn't have the interpretation. I'm not going to rebuke them. Oh, you sinner, you shouldn't have done that. So say, you know what? It looks like there's no interpretation, so we'll just move on. It, it's just simple like that. Sometimes we get all freaked out. It's like, oh, man, if there's not an interpretation. I'm just gonna, I don't want you to be afraid of the gifts of the Spirit. We're not going to call you a heretic or anything like that. So if someone speaks in a tongue, we're going to ask, we're going to, we're going to inquire in the room, is there any interpretation? If there's no interpretation, there's no rebuke. It's just we won't continue with that. We'll just move on. Remember, this is the corporate worship setting. Interpretation is needed. In your private devotional life, interpretation is not needed. You're being edified. It's your spirit's communicating. There are times, I'll be honest with you, there's times when I've been praying in the spirit by myself or singing in the spirit by myself, and I've been given the interpretation right afterwards. And it's like, wow, that's what, wow, that's awesome. It's encouraging. 
Verse 29, let two or three prophets speak and let the others judge. John wrote this in his first epistle, 1 John 4, 1. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Someone may share a prophecy, and just because they say, thus saith the Lord, that doesn't mean that thus saith the Lord. In Jeremiah's day, there were all kinds of prophets that were saying, thus saith the Lord, and they were all false prophets. So false prophets, the false prophecy still exists and so we're to use, we're to be careful, we're to test the spirits. Well, how do we test the spirits? What criteria do we use when judging a prophecy? God's word, that's what we use, the Bible. Does that mean that they have to say everything verbatim from the Bible? No. But what they're saying, is it contrary to God's word? Is it contrary to the principles of God's word of scriptures? If it is, man, don't, you don't need to listen to it. Verse 30, but if anything is revealed to another who sits by, let the first keep silent, for you can all prophesy one by one, that all may learn and all may be encouraged. And the spirits of the prophets are subject to the prophets. So if there's more than one with a word of prophecy, he's just as basically saying, take turns. One of you is not more important. Well, I've got a better or more important prophecy. No, 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 just take turns. One is not more important, that the other, uh, more important than the other. Not only that, but you think about this, okay? Like I said earlier, prophecy is a word of the Lord to man. So if, if God is speaking to an individual who's given a word of prophecy and he's starting to share it with you, so it's, you know, at the, at the time, at the right times, like, you know, uh, I have really feel the Lord sharing this or whatever, however, however it comes out, and they're speaking a word of prophecy, and then Joe over here all of a sudden gets a, a prophecy and he's like, well, no, I, I need to speak. And the, it's like, wait a minute, if they're both God's words, God's not going to interrupt himself. You know, you think about it. He's not going to interrupt himself. And here's the, I think this verse is probably the, 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 the cornerstone of this entire chapter. Verse 33, for God is not the author of confusion, but of peace, as in all the churches of the saints. It applies to everything, not just the practice of the gifts of the Spirit. There's not to be confusion in the church, but there's to be peace in the church. Verse 34. We can probably skip this last couple verses. I don't know whether there's... No, I'm just kidding. All right, here we go. Let your, <laughs> let your women keep silent in the churches. Amen. Okay, let's go. We're done for tonight. No, I'm just kidding. Let your women keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but they are, be, but they are to be submissive, as the law also says. And if they want to learn something at home, let's, let them ask their own husbands at home. For it is shameful for women to speak in church. Or did the word of God come originally from you? Or was it only you that it reached? And I have a feeling what I'm about to say is going to probably alienate the better half or the better looking half of this congregation, I should say. So I've got to tread very carefully. <laughs> so what is Paul saying here? Is Paul saying that women are not to say anything in church? Is that what he's saying? I don't think so. And the reason why is because in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 5, Paul is already uh, permitting women to pray and prophesy in the church, in the corporate gathering. So what is Paul saying? <clears throat> well, some say, in light of Paul's instructions to Timothy in 1 Timothy 2.11, don't turn there, we're not going to read it, 
But Paul is, you can look at it later, just mark it down. Paul is reiterating, I think that, or, or excuse me, that's what some people say, that Paul is reiterating that women are not to exercise spiritual authority in the church over the men in the sense of judging the prophecies. They think that that's what Paul is referring to. The spoken prophecies, it's the church leadership, the men in the church that are supposed to, to discern that it could be. Others say it was just cultural. And they say the church in Corinth, men sat on one side of the church building and women sat on the other side of the church building. And actually in some, some churches and some things, it is that way. And so the context, some people say, is like a wife, Alice would be sitting over, Alice isn't here good, okay. Not that Alice, but a different Alice. She's sitting over here and, and, her, and, her, and her husband Mordecai is sitting over there and uh, you know, the pastor says something, Paul's saying something, and then, and then Alice will scream across the room to Mordecai, what did he say, Mordecai, what did he mean, you know, and, then, and it's going back and forth. Some people say that that's what this is talking about, and it was creating confusion. You know, it's interesting, that word speak that you see in those verses, it's the word laleo, and this is what it literally means, to talk at random. It's contrasted with the word called Lego, which is a building block that costs a lot of money if you buy them. No, I'm just kidding. Um, uh, Lego, which involves the intellectual part of man, his reason. So one, Laleo, is just random talk. And it says here it's used especially of children with the meaning of to talk much, kind of like chattering. And, and so uh, when I look at the Greek, the word that Paul used here, it my opinion, it tends to support the cultural explanation. That in Corinth, there was this crosstalk going on all the time during the worship service, and it was adding to the confusion. Whatever Paul is saying by this, and you might have a different feel, again, I don't think I have the, the, the monopoly on truth here. Whatever Paul is saying by this, remember it's in the context of not causing confusion in the public corporate gathering. Listen, talking while, today, right now, talking while I'm preaching, or talking while prophecy, prophecy is going, going place, or somebody is teaching or something, it's, uh, it's disruptive. There was an incident not too long ago. I was, uh, some, we, on a Wednesday night, someone was sharing, and, and a couple other people were, were holding a conversation, and I was up here trying to listen to the person that was sharing, and I'm hearing this crosstalk going on and it wasn't quiet it was just conversation and, and I thought man that's first of all I have a problem hearing although I did get some hearing hearing aids I just I haven't tried them out yet I gotta try them out after church but uh, it was it was I'm like okay um whenever I have more than one conversation going on I'm, I'm like it just all of a sudden it becomes noise to me I just I can't discern so I was having a hard time but I think it's also rude and disrespectful to whomever is sharing. We have to be really sensitive about that. So I think that could very well be what Paul is referring to. Listen, there's another thing that Paul mentions here about asking your husband's questions. I'm just gonna throw this out here. You know, if somebody comes up to me, married or unmarried, you know, and they ask me, hey, you know, can you explain something? And they, they ask about scripture, I'll explain it. I, I have no problem. It's not like you can't do it. But let me encourage you, wives, if you've got a question about something that you heard at church, instead of coming to me, again, I'm not going to turn you away and say you can't do that. Ask your hubby. Ask your hubby. Listen, they're either going to wow you 
with this great spiritual understanding, you're going to go, wow, that's my man. That's why I married him. You know, it's going to, it's going to like, it's going to be good for your marriage. It's going to encourage you. Or you're going to challenge them. <laughs> what did the pastor mean when he said that? Ooh, you're going to challenge them to get into the word and like, yeah, I better, I better get an answer because I want to, I want to wow her. <laughs> Either way, it's beneficial. So I just want to encourage you in that. Ask your husbands. So just to reiterate, the context here is peace instead of confusion. And so Paul is addressing something the women of Corinth were doing that was adding to the confusion during the expression of the gifts of the, of the Spirit during a worship service. I don't believe that Paul is saying that women are not allowed to speak in church, period. I don't think that's what Paul is saying. Because again, 1 Corinthians 11, he permits women publicly praying and prophesying in church. We know that there was a deaconess in the church of Crenshia. In Romans chapter 16, Paul greets her. And I don't know if she had a speaking ministry, but she was a deacon. She was, she was doing ministry in the church. So I think it's a mistake, personally, I think it's a mistake to point to this passage and say, women cannot speak at all in church. I honestly believe that that's a mistake, a misinterpretation. Now, Paul does address in 1 Timothy chapter 2, women exercising spiritual authority over the men in the church. And I think it's in the sense of women pastors and teachers that are, I, 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 I believe it's not biblical for a woman to be a pastor of a church, to be teaching a church service, to be preaching a, a, a sermon. I, I believe that's to men. I believe that's not biblical. And again, I'm probably alienating people, but that's what God's word says. But I don't think that's what Paul is saying here. Verse 37, if anyone thinks himself to be a prophet or spiritual, let him acknowledge that the things which I write to you are the commandments of the Lord. But if anyone is ignorant, let him be ignorant. So what's Paul saying here? Hey, be a Berean. What's a Berean? A Berean is someone that listens to what I'm saying right now, and you go, you know what? <laughs> I want to make sure he's on track. I'm going to go home. I'm going to read the scriptures. I'm going to do my own little Bible study and see if, if what he's saying is actually true. So be a Berean. Don't take my word for it. Do your own study. Get into the word. Say, maybe, hopefully I've wet your appetite of nothing else. You're like, you know what, I want to do my own Bible study on this and gain my own understanding. I encourage you to do that. Be a Berean. But listen, if someone's going to stubbornly stick to their guns when Scripture clearly teaches otherwise from what they're saying, you know, if, they, if, they're, if they're like, no, this is, I don't agree with you, and this is this, Paul's basically saying, just don't argue with them, okay? Uh, let them remain ignorant if that's what they choose. Let them be ignorant. That's okay. Paul is not trying to get into a debate and an argument with people. And I'm not trying to do that either. If you, like I said, be a Berean. If you disagree with me, that's okay. I still love you. You know, we can agree to disagree, and that, that's fine. Um, this is, not any, this is not a salvation issue, by the way, you know? Faith in Christ alone for salvation, that, that's a salvation issue. This stuff's, it's just secondary. It really is, I believe it is. Verse 39, summing it up. Therefore, brethren, desire earnestly to prophesy and do not forbid to speak with tongues. And then finally, let all things be done decently and in order. Again, that's the whole purpose. The, the, the gifts, the use of the gifts, it's not to make me feel more spiritual. 
It's not to make me look more spiritual or sound more spiritual. It's not to make, you know, it's not to have uh, these Christians that don't, these Christians that do, and we got some kind of a, uh, uh, you know, different classes of Christians. It's for the edification of the church, to build up the church body, the corporate body. And so I would encourage all of us to hopefully through this, you know, these few chapters, hopefully we've gained a, a biblical a biblical understanding on the gifts of the Spirit. And it's my prayer that we would all be zealously seeking the gifts. But again, you can have all those gifts. You can be fluent in whatever and just, you know, but without love, man, it doesn't matter. So love is the primary, the primary uh, goal and focus. The gifts come after that. So I want to encourage you with that. Why don't you stand up? Let's go to the Lord in prayer.